Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Three things that Jesus said. Deny self. Take up your cross. Follow me. And we can change the world. And he set the pace. All right, welcome back to our Disciple Series. Go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of 1 Timothy. We're going to be in chapter 4, verses 6 through 10. If you don't have a Bible, then down the center aisle are some Bibles that you are encouraged to use and take. Uh, you can have that as our gift from us to you. Uh, in my Bible, 1 Timothy is on 1,195. <laughs> I don't know if that will help you, but it's got to be in that in that. Uh, that general direction, it's like really close to the end of your Bible. We're going to read these words out loud. First Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 10. When I stop hearing the pages turn, then we'll go ahead and read together. You guys ready? All right, let's read. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you uh, for your presence amongst us and for the promise that that you're with us today. Uh, We need your help. Uh, We need you to open our eyes to the things that we don't see, uh, particularly Uh, in your word as it regards to us following Jesus. And uh, God, we pray that you would incline our hearts toward you today. We come in from all different um, uh, walks of life today. We come in with different circumstances that uh, that we've dealt with throughout the week. And uh, some of us have come in with different dispositions. Some need to be refreshed. Some need to be encouraged. Uh, some are, you know, they're on the mountain, they're feeling good, things are okay, and they just need to be around God's people. Uh, some possibly here today have no idea who you are. And Holy Spirit, you are so good, so gracious to us that you can meet all of our needs at the same time. And so I pray that you would use uh, my feeble words to uh, minister to your people. Uh, Lord, we submit ourselves to your word, putting ourselves under it that we might uh, glean what you would have to say to us as your people today. And everyone said, amen. Amen. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're in uh, the fourth week of our uh, series on disciple. What we are trying to do is look at what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I can't review all that we've gone over. You can go to our website, transitchurch.com, to check that out. All those sermons are there. But I do need to 
talk about last week just for a couple minutes because it segues into what we're going to talk about this week. Last week we looked at the, the transformation of Peter, the Apostle Peter, um, as he began to follow Jesus and sort of life developed for him. Um, Peter was one of the very first disciples to follow Jesus. Uh, as we look at Mark's gospel, he depicts that, you know, Jesus said, hey, follow me. And Peter dropped everything that he was doing and he followed. Peter made a name for himself as a disciple, as being very courageous and bold. Peter was a man of great faith. Think about this. Peter walked on water. OK, well, he eventually sang, but he walked on water. Peter was he was the first to get the revelation that Jesus was the Christ, the, the Messiah, the anointed one. Um, Peter was a, a pretty cool dude. How at the same time that we say that, though, there are pictures that we have of Peter in the Gospels and um, and also in in the epistles as well. The book of Acts that shows us that Peter was a, a, a disciple that failed a little bit at his lowest I mean, when Peter was at his worst, he denied Jesus three times. I mean, can you, can you get any lower than that? Um, but as we compare Peter at his worst and then look down the line at what the scriptures unveil about Peter, but more so what church history says about this, this man who was simply following Jesus, Peter became an awesome disciple. I mean, he, he became a person who truly epitomized the rock. He was the he was the man, the, the 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 person that God built his church on. Peter healed people just by walking past him. Peter preached a, a, the, the, the sermon of his life at Pentecost, causing 3000 people to come to faith in Jesus. Yes. Peter was an awesome disciple. And so what we, we need to look just for a second is. What can we attribute to this change? I mean, how did Peter go from, you know, simple uh, follower of Jesus to a failure to uh, the, the disciple that changed the world? And if you will, I'd like to offer that what we see in Peter's life is that he learns that relationship with Jesus is not based upon doing, but being. I didn't say that last week. I had it in my notes, but I ran out of time. Um, hopefully you talked about it in your community group last week. And if not, I'm going to give you a dose of it right here. You know, Peter was a courageous guy. Peter, Peter was, I mean, he kind of like me. He's a doer. Okay. Peter thought that to be in good favors with, with Jesus, he had to be doing something. Peter wanted to be first. He wanted to be best. He was always trying to like ease up on Jesus and, you know, just, just be the one that Jesus picked for stuff. And so when we see Jesus encountering Peter after his failure in John 21 and just saying, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? He not only restored Peter to fellowship with himself, reconciling him. He not only allowed, gave Peter just the, the glimpse that, you know, it, it's okay. Love what I love. I want you to love my people, love my sheep. And you're going to go do that. But what Peter, what Jesus was helping, what he was conveying to Peter in, the, in those moments was, Peter, I love you, dude, and you don't need to do anything to, to gain my love. I love you because you've trusted me, because you followed me. And so being a disciple more than anything is it's just being, being, uh, the, uh, being an adopted child of God, being forgiven, being reconciled by what Jesus does on the cross, being, knowing that you're redeemed by the blood of Christ that he spilled in your place for your sin. I could go on. All these things that God has called us that we don't have to work to make it happen for us. He calls you to simply be. Can y'all handle that? Oh, yeah. 
I'm a doer. I want to do something for Jesus. I love Jesus and I feel like I got to always do something for him. But right now he's telling Peter, Peter, just be. Just be. And the doing flows out of out of being. Now, I say that because today we're going to talk about doing. All right. Today, we're going to talk about doing. Today, we'll look at discipleship from the perspective of training ourselves for godliness. Uh, what what does it take for us to live out the life of discipleship? And I want to provoke you this morning. I, I'm, I, I got my little poker out. It's a little red hot. I'm going to poke you in several places because I, I just think I need to do this. I'm your pastor and some of us need to be poked. I, I poke myself with my own sermon. And so now that I've been poked, there's holes in me, stuff oozing out. I'm going to poke you, too. Uh, I want to provoke us to think about how do we become people like this? People like Peter, not a perfect person, someone who loves God deeply. But, you know, there's some failure. But still, you can be said throughout his life, at the end of his life, that he understood that God had called him to be and being flowed out of his doing. How can we be the kind of Christian that that our desires are committed to having our whole self serve and love Jesus. I've got one point for you this morning. One point. Here's the point. Being a disciple requires discipline. That's what we learn in this passage in 1 Timothy. This means that no one accidentally becomes a disciple. Ain't going to happen. You don't just wake up one morning and, uh, and magically become a mature, uh, mature Christian. Being a disciple requires discipline. Say that out loud. Say, this, say these words out loud with me. Being a disciple requires discipline. I don't know if you believe it yet. Hopefully I'll convince you by the end of the sermon. Some of you with a bit of English, English language, English training. I mean, you can just look at the look at those two words, disciple, discipline. They look kind of similar, don't they? All right. The etymology of these two words comes from the same root. They're linked. You can't be a disciple without a little bit of discipline. That's what I'll unfold for you today. These terms are connected. Uh, the concern I'd like to address this morning is some of us try to become, we, we, we try to become disciples without the added discipline. And we can't do that. So as we look at 1 Timothy, this is an interesting book. Paul's talking to, he's talking to, you know, his protege Timothy, a leader of the church. Uh, Timothy's at Ephesus. He's been appointed as uh, you know, the bishop, the pastor of this of this people. Paul's at the end of his life and he's just encouraging Peter, uh, encouraging Timothy about church leadership. And if you read through the, the, the epistle, there's some stuff going on. There's false doctrine. There's false teachers. And Paul is sort of exhorting Timothy. Hey, don't put up with that stuff. You got to deal with it. Uh, but more importantly, there's some there's some essential things that you got to tend to as you're leading your people to love and serve God. We also learn in this passage what it means to be uh, a disciplined disciple. So verse six, if you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. If you put these things before the brothers, uh, he's going back a little bit. You know, he's going back in, the, in what he's already written. Primarily, he's talking about um, there's some people coming in uh, talking about devoting themselves to spir- uh, deceitful spirits, teaching about demons, uh, false teachers. They forbid marriage, all kinds of other stuff. You can read that in the passage prior to that. And he's saying, if you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant. Um, uh, if you 
if you just put that stuff to the side and press on to other matters. The, the focal point here in this verse six are, are, are these words. Um, uh, being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you follow. The emphasis here is on the words, uh, the word word and, and doctrine. The word is foundational to our faith. The word is central to you. The word of God I'm talking about, not just any words, the words of God given to us as the infallible, authoritative uh, uh, words that God has left for us to know who he is. That tells us his story and how we can join him in his story are uh, absolutely um, central to you and you becoming a disciple. You can't be you can't even be a disciple apart from God's word. Because in God's word is the message of the gospel where we learn that we that we that God has made the world perfect and that uh, uh, that a, a couple that he put in his good world sinned, disobeying him and ushered sin into the world. And that God, through his plan of redemption, has provided a means for us to uh, to be redeemed, to be back in fellowship with him. And that man was Jesus. Jesus died on the cross in your place. For your sin. You can't become a disciple without understanding that word and agreeing with it, receiving it for yourself and living as a part of it. And so apart from paying attention to what is what is true and what's been handed down from us in Scripture for our benefit, you can't even be a disciple. Verse seven. Paul writes, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness. He says you know, that's a lot of crazy stuff out there. People are posting on Facebook, social media, Instagram. They got they got pictures that you shouldn't be looking at. They got little pithy things that you shouldn't be giving your attention to. And very likely you have people who even come up to you and knock on your door and try to profess things that you should not even entertain. He's like, that's crazy stuff. Put it to the side. Rather, don't get it. Don't get it caught up in these secondary issues. Rather. Train yourself for godliness. And this is the imperative that Paul wants us to hear today in regards to being a disciple, a follower of Jesus. This verse tells us what it means to be disciplined. And the word is train. Is train. The Greek word for train is gymnazo. That, that's just sound familiar. Gymnazo, gym, 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 gymnasium, gym. What's Paul saying? He's saying, Pastor Timothy, go work out, dude. Go, go put your shoes on, get your, get your, get your whatever the outfit you want to wear for the day, matching your colors, go to the gym, train, work out. Um, I'm looking at y'all. Y'all look good. I, I, I would put my congregate, the transit up against any congregation in the world in terms of how good we look. We are a good looking congregation. And I can just look at you all and tell most of you care about your health. You care about your, your physical fitness. Some of you are into CrossFit. Some of you are triathletes. Some of you walk eight miles a day. Some of you ride your bikes. A good percentage of you all are military. So you're cheating because you get paid to be healthy. That's OK. I'm, I'm OK with that, too. Um, I've even had people come to me and say, hey, hey, Jeff, uh, I'm not going to be in church on Sunday because uh, I'm running the Marine Corps Marathon. That's some cool stuff. We have a fit congregation. This is the deal with my community group. My community group, my community group meets right here in Kingstown. And, uh, you know, uh, our family usually we, we always have something. We either have snacks and stuff or oftentimes we'll have a potluck. 
And, uh, you know, at first we bring like brownies and cookies and stuff and nobody was eating them because everybody in my community group is uh, they're on paleo or uh, gluten free. And so we had to start eating healthy stuff in my community group. I mean, whoever heard of that? Christians fellowshipping, eating healthy. I mean, I'm picking on it. But I mean, isn't that cool that we care about our bodies and how they look, but not more than how they look. You know how we want our bodies to last. And, and you know, Paul is suggesting that suggesting that to a point. But here's his point here. And I think this is the point that, that you need to pay attention to. Paul would ask you the emphasis that you place on bodily training. Can you say the same thing about your spiritual life? Are you as meticulous to plan out and be intentional in your spiritual life, reading your Bible, praying other disciplines? I'm going to talk about those at the end. As you are to execute your physical life, eating right, exercise, on and on. Verse 9. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Verse 10. For to this end, we toil and strive because we've set our hope. Actually, it says because we, we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Paul says to this end. Verse 10. He says for this purpose. This is the reason why God has called you to be a disciple. For the sake of being a disciple, rather, we toil and strive. Now, to toil, that means you've got to be engaged in some hard work. Paul is saying this life of, of, of being a godly person, pressing towards God's holiness, living life as a follower of Jesus, it requires you to work a little bit, to, to engage yourself in hard work. And the word strive is uh, to do something with great intensity and effort. You might even sweat a little bit. It means to strain yourself, to strain yourself almost to the point that you're, you're competing with anything that might come in, uh, in opposition of you achieving this goal of godliness. Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, discipleship requires discipline. Get at it. Put your shoes on. Get your outfit on. Go to the gym. Work out. Timothy, you're not going to wake up tomorrow morning and be 10 pounds lighter. Ain't going to happen. Not even with the fit wrap stuff. It just doesn't happen, folks. It doesn't. Uh, the same way, you're not going to wake up tomorrow and be like, like magic. Just be a godly person. It's going to take some effort. Willfulness is going to take work. Being a disciple requires discipline. Have I said that enough that y'all remember it? I just got a couple more times to say it. Here's the problem. There's a small portion of you in here that would just that, that would that would look at your life and say, Jeff, I want to be disciplined, but I'm not. I, I'm not disciplined. Actually, I was having a conversation with one of you a couple of weeks ago and knowing what I was going to preach two weeks ahead of time. I sort of vomited some of this on on him. This idea of. I'm going to push back. You might think you're not disciplined. I would say that everybody has a measure of discipline in them. It's just not directed in the right way. Let me explain. The truth is, all of us are, we have a modicum of discipline. We're disciplined in certain areas of our life. And this is a factor of your will, your, your human will. And all of our wills work the same way. Um, let's think of it for a minute how, how we're made up. You, this is how your will works. Uh, your will, I'm calling your will your capacity to choose what's foundational for you. You're, so I want to do something uh, my will is going to, to choose what I want to do, in other words. And all of us as humans, it, it, it all works the same. Those of you that have kids, you bring your baby home, and that, that kid, just as an example, he has one cry. Okay, he's going to cry when he, you know, what, what does a baby do? We, got, we love them. They, they eat, sleep, and poop, right? All right. So when he wants to eat, he cries. 
when he's pooped, he, he cries. Sometimes, sometimes boys don't, but, but girls usually do. Isn't that something? So, okay, back to illustration. All right, so he cries. He cries to eat. He cries to poop sometimes. He cries. When he, when he wants to go to sleep, he, a baby cries. That's all they're doing. Eat, sleeping, pooping, and crying in, in between. Three months down the line, the baby is four or five months old, right? And then they're still eat, sleeping, and pooping, and crying in between. But somehow that cry develops a little bit. They don't just have a cry when they want to eat, sleep, and poop, or when they, you know, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? They also cry when they don't like something. Like, they, they, they want to be held and you haven't held them, or they don't like what you're doing to them, um, or any other thing that a baby might use to express. They can't talk, right? So they got to express their will somehow, and so that cry just sort of changes, and it's no longer that sweet baby crow, he needs something. It's like, I'm not happy with you. And you need to come, parent, and, and do what I want you to do to me. That's our kids. You've seen it. If you don't have any kids, then you've perhaps babysat and seen it. And if not, just wait. It's coming. Your job here as a parent, obviously, is to mold that child so that they submit to you and eventually are submissive to God as well. You can't just let that cry go. You've got to do something with it. Um, so your will is basically who you are. And I would tell you, you wouldn't even be the same Without it, without this capacity to to choose and do what you want. A couple more examples. When you wake up, when you woke up this morning, uh, some of you reached into your closet or to your drawer and you put on clothes. And what you put on was a decision of your will. You ate some breakfast. That was a decision of your will. Whatever you ate. This morning I had pumpkin oatmeal. Delicious. Trader Joe's. This is a free commercial for Trader Joe's. Delicious. All right. So you got in your car. And the decision of your will was to listen to music or not listen to music. And then you got some decisions on what kind of music you're going to listen to. Am I going to pump in from my, my iPod? I'm going to, or whatever Bluetooth, all right, that, you know, the iPhone's the best phone. But whatever other things y'all are using, I'm okay with that. Or, or am I going to listen to some bluegrass or some R&B or some church music? Any of y'all listen to church music on the radio? You got a few. All right. I had to throw it out because I, I do, and some of you might as well. These are all decisions of your will. All day, every day, you're willing things. And what that means is that all of you are disciplined in some areas of your life. And guess what those areas are? Those are the areas that you, that this is what I want to do. I'm going to will to do it. I'm making decisions based upon uh, what I'm willing. Think of it this way. Some of you are disciplined in eating. Some of y'all don't miss a meal. I don't miss a meal. I'm disciplined at eating. Some of you are disciplined at returning uh, or getting on Facebook and posting or returning replies when somebody texts you. Very likely, since I've been preaching, someone has sent you a text and the decision of your will is, all right, oh, so, whoa, do I, do I answer this text while Jeff is preaching or, or should I wait until after the worship service is over before I text back? And whatever you do, I'm not criticizing. I'm just telling you this is how life is. Isn't this how life is for us? It's a decision of our will. And so those of you that would say, you know what, I'm just not different. All those all those examples you've pushed out this morning. I'm none of those. I'm not a disciplined person. I would tell you, yes, you are. You're just not disciplined. Um, You are you're a person that's disciplined in your spontaneity. You like to be unconstrained. 
And so your discipline in the in how you are consistently unconstrained with the way that you live your life. And if that's the way you are, then that's how God made you. And all right, I'm going to pressure a little bit more on this, though, though. Because we're willful creatures, we can't help but be disciplined about the way we carry through in some areas of our lives. And this is typically in areas that we really care about. And so the problem is not that you lack discipline. It actually is something else. And to get that something else, you've got to go a little bit deeper. What is it that moves our will? This is what moves our will. We're, we're willing creatures, and we tend toward things that are in our desire. Whatever is attractive to us, that's what we desire, and that's what we do. Our will does what we desire. If I don't will it, I'm likely not going to do it. That, I mean, that was, that, was, that was supposed to be profound. All right, so this is a crude example, but this will, this will ring true for all of us. Probably the most natural function for all of us, part of one of our human functions, uh, is, is passing gas, farting. <laughs> you ever been in an environment, like maybe a room like this, where it's too quiet to, to do what your body is telling you to do? Ever been in an elevator when, when you know, it's just this this close proximity and so and if you got if you feel it coming on that you absolutely shouldn't do it and so ask yourself this question what makes me pass gas what makes me not pass gas at certain moments and then pass gas at other moments that's a decision of your will but have you have you ever been in the elevator when someone lets out a silent but deadly one and they should not have passed gas absolutely Point number two. I'm like cracking up myself this morning. Um, Second illustration. All right. So yes or no? Yes or no? So if you really wanted to pee in your pants, could you do it right now? Like right right where you're sitting? If you wanted to pee in your pants right now, could you really make it happen if you wanted to? Shake your head up and down like yes. Yes, you could. Now, I mean, would you want to? Most of us, most of us in here would say, no, nah, I wouldn't do that. But you could. And that would be a decision of what makes us do the things that we do. What keeps us from not doing the things that we don't want to do. Those are decisions of our will. Don't pee in your pants. All right. I got to connect these dots. These dots. There's a spiritual reality. There's a spiritual reality. What I'm saying. All right. Here it is. Outside of the grace of God, our desires are corrupt. We have um, uh, Jesus with the rich young ruler. He, the rich young man walked up to Jesus and said, uh, good teacher. And Jesus resp- responded back to him. Don't call me good. Oh, there's only there's only one person that's good. And it's God. OK, there's a lot of there's a, there's a message in there. I can't give it to you. The, the Bible um, uh, professes that only God is good. You may do good things. You may be kind and generous and you may be a gregarious person, happy, all that. But I would tell you, there's nothing in your goodness, your happiness or your gregariousness that merits God's favor toward you because you have sin in you and God hates sin. And so outside of the grace of God, there is nothing in you um, that 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 merits God's favor. Your your desires are corrupt, even on your best day. Your desires are turned away from God and towards yourself. And oftentimes when we're willing things for our life, I'll do this, but I won't do that. All we're doing is expressing our sinfulness, our utter sinfulness. And we can't will the right things because we don't want the right things. This is how Paul says it in Ephesians 2, verse 3. 
We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the, de- uh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. These are not flattering words. You can go back to Ephesians and read the rest of it. He's making a point and it gets good. But right here, he's painting a picture that, I mean, we're corrupt. There's some stuff that's wrong with us. Notice what it says. Paul says we were indulging and choosing and willing the desires of our flesh. And your flesh is the part of you that's not submitted to God. And we all have flesh. Even if you're a Christian, you have a part of you that's not submitted to God. And that's where you will to do things that you want to do because you want to do it, regardless if God says otherwise or not. But here's the good news of the gospel. God in this grace gives you a new heart. Not your pumping heart that take, take, puts blood throughout your body, your, your spiritual heart. Okay, that thing that, um, that God uses to, to uh, pull you toward himself. And this is the basic promise of the gospel. Ezekiel says this, Ezekiel 36, verse 26. Ezekiel's prophesying. He sees um, the, the people of God in the future. and He says, I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of uh, a heart of flesh. Fast forward into the New Testament. Jesus is speaking to a religious guy by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night because he's uh, he's a little intimidated. And he asks Jesus, how can I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, Nicodemus, you got to be born again. You got to be born of, of spirit and and of water. Is that what that says? All right, the next verse says that. I didn't put that on there, okay? So Nic- uh, Jesus is explaining to Nicodemus, you got to have water, which is a, a symbol of the cleansing that comes from the forgiveness of sins, and you got to have uh, the spirit, which is, like Ezekiel said, God giving us a new heart. Theolo- theologians would call the two of these, these, these two ideas of a new heart, God giving us his spirit, and Nicodemus saying, you must, uh, Jesus saying, you must be born again. Theologians, theologians would call that regeneration, God gives you a new heart by his grace. And when he gives you a new heart, what he gives you with it is new desires, new inclinations, new longings, new things which attract you. At least that's what should happen. Because of the grace of God in regeneration, we, we don't want some of the things that we used to want. Our desires change and we're given over to new desires. God pulls us toward things that are good like he is good. Now, the truth is, these aren't the only desires that we have. We still live in a fallen world. We still sin. And there's all kinds of things, all kinds of influences that are going to pull us in ways that God would not have us to be pulled. But at the same time, there's this thing in us that makes us want to do the things of God. And so for those of you that, had, that, that may say, you know, I'm not disciplined. I don't have this. I don't have this. I don't have it in me to do the things of God. I just can't do that. I can't even pick up my clothes off the floor. I would tell you, all of us are disciplined. We're just disciplined in different, in different lanes. This is what God would have us, have us to do. He wants the new desires that he gives us when he regenerates us to overtake our life. And so let me summarize where we've been, uh, the case I'm building, and then we'll go forward just a couple more verses. Being a disciple requires discipline. Most of you know that, yet the common objection to that is 
I'm not very disciplined. There's some of you that probably say, I'm not a very disciplined person. I know y'all, half of y'all are military, and the military makes you a disciplined person. Um, my answer to you is most of us have a modicum of discipline in us. We are just disciplined in the ways that we want to be disciplined. We're disciplined at responding to Facebook or answering my phone or texting somebody or doing what I want to do when I, when I want to do it. And so here's the question as we uh, finish looking at this text. How do we become the kind of people who consistently discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness? I mean, how do we exercise our wills in godliness like Paul is suggesting to Timothy so that we're effective disciples of Jesus? And I would tell you it's in the text. Verse 10. For to this end we toil and strive because we've, uh, we have our hope set on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Paul says, to this end, we toil and strive. He's telling us, it, 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 you can't be a disciple without a little bit of effort. It takes some effort. These are effort words, exertion words, willing words. He, Paul asks, why do, why do we toil and strive? Because we have our hope on a living God. This is the key. Having our hope on something other than ourselves, our life, what we can see in the here and now, empowers us to labor, toil, and strive. And devoid of that hope, you're, you're not going to desire, not going to will what God wants you to will. Here, hope is important. In the Bible, hope is not wishful thinking. It's not closing your eyes and straining to... to you know, like, I really, really, really want this to happen. That's not what hope is in, in Scripture. Hope is confident expectation. Though I can't see it, I believe and hear that it's going to happen for me. It's a vision of the future that changes our actions in the present. It's a vision of what's going to be that drives what is. I see where, I see where life is right now, but I also see where God is taking me. And I'm going to choose to believe that. And so if we have our hopes set on this world, our desires will be set on the things of this world, chasing all that this world offers. But we have, if we have our, our, our eyes and our mind set on God and all that he offers us in the future, then our desires will tend toward that. And so ask, ask yourself this question. What would, it, what would make you toil for godliness? What would make you strive is there anything that would make you strive for godliness? I, Paul says to Peter, uh, Paul says to Timothy, it's setting your hope on a living God. Is that we have to get our eyes off of us, off of our circumstance, what we see in the here and now, and off of somebody else and what they're doing. And we have to set our hope on the living God. Because we're living for a kingdom beyond this world. We're living for a future glory that's beyond anything we'll ever experience in this world. And, and Paul hints at this, this in verse 8. We skipped over verse 8. I'm going to come back to it now. Here's what he says in verse 8. For while bodily training is of some value. He said, you know, working out, going to the gym, putting your, you put your gear on and, and actually putting in work that you might have... Um, uh, a healthy body, a good looking body, a fit body is of some value. There is goodness in you doing that. But he goes one step further. He says godliness is of value in every way. In other words, godliness, putting on godliness is of a better value than just having a body that's fit. It holds promise for this present life and also 
for the life to come. And so we should pursue that. I, I, I'm dating myself. Old song by Stephen Curtis Chapman back in the 80s. There's more to this life than living and dying. There, there's something more, and we should tend to that. There's, there's more to life to come. There's a whole future that you should have in view. There's a place that your hope should be set on that leads you to make the choices that you make and makes it easier for your will to choose in the now what's in accord with God's new desires for you. And so how do we train to be disciples? How do we train to be disciples? We train for godliness. Paul says we toil and we strive because we have our hope set not on us, what we can do in our own strength. We don't have our hope on what that person can do for me. I don't have a hope on what the government can do for me. I have my hope on the living God. It's set on him. And this is the gospel. This is a gospel hope. It drives and it should drive our spiritual discipline. And so take a deep breath. I'm almost done. Um, God is saying to us, uh, being a disciple requires discipline. He's saying, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. He's saying, train yourself for godliness. And of course, my contention is all of us, even if you would say I'm not disciplined in, in anything, I, I can't do anything consistently. I would tell you, uh, you, you are already disciplined. So um, don't, don't go out seeking to become more disciplined so that you can follow some rules or follow some steps and do all those things that, that you're supposed to do and then follow God by doing all that as well. That's not, that's not really what, what Paul is encouraging Timothy to do. He's not encouraging us to become disciplined. Uh, what he is encouraging us to do is orient our hope, orient our hope on the gospel so that we're moved by new desires. We have a will that's pleasing to God, wanting to focus on him. And so most of you need to orient your will in accordance with the hope of the gospel and the new desires that the Holy Spirit's given you. In order to be a church of dis- uh, disciples, we have to be given to discipline. This has to be a part of how we live. All right, I'm going to skip four. I got four spiritual disciplines I want to um, share with you. And we're going to do these real quick. Um, I could say a lot about all these. My favorite book on, this, on, on disciplines that we should um, practice as Christians who are trying to be better followers of Jesus is by Richard Foster. Uh, it's a celebration of disciplines, and he lists inward, outward, and corporate disciplines. I would recommend the book to you highly. I read it once a year, and it, it is like the, it's on my bookshelf, and I, I've like given him away. And so I, I'm not going to um, do justice to what he would say, what he would unfold in that book. So I would commend that to you. But let me just, for, let me suggest for, you know, uh, back to the beginning thought. Jesus encouraged Peter, it's not what you do, it's who you are. Okay? So don't forget that. But to, to, he, this passage is in this book of the Bible because God wants us to know there are some things to do. There are some things for us as disciples that we have to do. And the first one that I would recommend to you is, is just reading your Bible. Just pick that thing up and read it. What, what would it look like for us to be a biblically literate church? And I'm not saying that we aren't. But what would it how would it change our conversation if we were if we were in tune to what God had said to us about his story 
um, and our, our part in it. You know, a lot of us have this perspective that I'm living my life, it's my story, and I'm going to add God to it. The Bible tells us that this is his story. It's his world, it's his story, and he's allowed us to participate. What would it look like, how would it change our conversation if we were so intimate with God and his word? We would talk, we would talk less about Starbucks and lattes and even my pumpkin pancakes and stuff, and we would talk more about applying the gospel to our life. Um, uh, I got these thoughts in my head I want to share with you. There's a, you know, we got, we got these, these technological devices. There's a lot that we can do with um, smartphones and tablets and computers these days. Uh, you can download, there's probably 50, 100 different Bible apps. There's one thing that those Bible apps won't do for you. They won't turn themselves on and cause you to read it. And I know many of you uh, use version or some other different kind of uh, application to help you read through the Bible or read portions of the Bible. Some of you are even reading your Bible through your phone or your tablet this morning. That, that's cool. Use technology for what it's worth. Um, when you start a reading plan or you're reading the Bible, don't get discouraged as you're doing it. Don't start it and then you, you missed a couple days, you missed a whole month, and you, I mean, you're like, you get behind. Like, I, I'm reading the machine uh, all, all, the way, all the way through the Bible in a year, and I'm a month behind. I'm your pastor. I'm a month behind. All right, and I'm one of those systematic, you got to do this one before you can do this one kind of guys. I would tell you, pick up wherever you left, uh, pick, don't pick up where you left off. Skip it. Go to the next thing. God wants us to read our Bible because that's how we learn who uh, we are in him. Um, read your Bible. Uh, very close to this Bible reading is Bible study. If, if reading the Bible is about comprehension and immersing yourself in the story of God, then um, Studying the Bible is about going deeper. And I would say some of you who's been, who've been in the faith a longer, you need, to, you need to pick a book of the Bible. You need to pick a, a passage, a pericope in a certain book. And you need to just lay into it. See what God would say to you in it. Okay? And let it minister to you. Let it de- de- devote yourself to it and um, let God change you through it. The second would be prayer. Um, I could say a whole lot about prayer. Uh, but just let me just reduce my thoughts to this. Um, a lot of times we fail at prayer. We feel like we're not good. We don't pray enough. We, I don't pray the right words. Um, uh, whatever, whatever your thought is about you and praying, um, because we're all doing it by ourselves. And I, what I've learned is I, I've had all those same thoughts, but I think I become a, a, a more effective prayer, prayer, and I enjoy prayer more when I'm doing it with other people. Okay, so don't always let prayer be this solitary thing that you do in your, you know, in your home, in the basement, in the dark of the night. I mean, just all those kinds of things. It's okay to pray with other people. And here's a here's a great recommendation. We have corporate prayer for our church once a month, usually on the third. I think it's the third week. Okay, the next time we do it, it's going to be two weeks from now. We do it at five o'clock on a Sunday night, meet at some morning's house and we pray. We pray for the needs of our church. We pray for our city. We pray for you. Um, a great opportunity for us to come together and, and to pray. If you're one that doesn't know how to pray, the neat thing about our, our, our prayer community group is, I mean, there's some people that can pray. And you won't be intimidated, but you learn how to pray by praying with other people. Thirdly, worship. And I got two things on here. Romans 12, 1 says that worship is all of our life. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul is saying to the church at Rome, the least that you can do is worship God. He expects that. He demands it. So our lives are supposed to be worship. Isn't coming in this room in worship. It's our life is 
lived as worship to God. At the same time, I'm saying come to church. Y'all are here, but part of your worship to God is coming to church. A very close second to this is community. Community is not a dis- it's not a discipline. I just threw this in because I couldn't help myself. All right. So a lot of times uh, what we're trying to do to follow Jesus, we do on our own. It's, it's like me and Jesus working this thing out by ourselves. And God, I think that the picture that I see in Scripture is that God calls us into community. First, he calls us into unity with himself. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then he calls us into community with his bride, the, the church. First Corinthians 12 and 13 is all about you, not by yourself, you as a part of Jesus' body, the church. And, of course, we have community groups all over uh, you know, the, the city that you can join. Uh, we are encouraged to spur each other on toward, uh, toward godliness, to not forsake the, the meeting uh, uh, together. We do that corporately, but we also do that throughout the week. We become better disciples of Jesus when we're together. And lastly, I would encourage you uh, that we, uh, 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 an important spiritual discipline that we don't talk a lot about is service. Service. Um, there is a discipline of serving. Um, we live in a com- uh, consumeristic culture. It's all about me, my needs, my wants. Um, and you know, even as Christians, we buy into that so much that we we think life revolves around us and that we should uh, we should work to meet our own needs. And as I read the Gospels, especially Jesus talking, his kingdom is completely opposite from that. Jesus says the first will be last. He says those who serve actually get their needs met by their service. And God would call us to that. I think the biggest discipline some of us need is just good old serving, dismissing your own needs for a couple seconds and serving someone else. This really is the the idea of of loving your neighbor like yourself. And you know what? You can do that right here in our church. All right. uh, Volunteer training is over and I'm I'm appreciative of all you all that came out. But the deal is uh, we're a new church and we always need people. And so the way we ask people to do it is serve where you're gifted. Uh, like if you're a gregarious, always a smile on your face kind of person, then you need to be out, out in guest services, greeting people as they come in. And if you're, um, if you're like me, you can't do anything, then you just serve where, you, where, there's a need, uh, where there's a need. There's needs everywhere. Kids ministry, guest services, worship department, media. Um, I'm leaving one out. I can't remember the other one. Logistics. Logistics, the most important one. Setting all this stuff up. All right, so how do you train yourself for godliness? I I encourage you to do all those those three things. You know, perhaps you're here today and you are saying to yourself, you know what? I don't have a desire to do any of this stuff. I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to pray. I don't. I'm just here because somebody invited me. Uh, And I'm still trying to figure out what I believe about Jesus. And so you're uh, you know, I'm just don't press me too hard. And I would I would tell you this is what God would say to you. Um, And he says it in love. Yeah. Christianity is um, is God through his regeneration, his grace that he gives us, um, giving us want to's, not have to's. And and what God offers you today is to replace your 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 have to's rules and feeling burdened by the, um, you know, what you might think are the all these things I got to do to be right, look good, be a Christian with a desire in you, a new spirit, a new heart, be born again that would give you the wherewithal to do what he's asking you to do. So perhaps you're here today. You may not know Jesus. 
if you're here today and you think you know Jesus, but you don't have those desires, maybe you just need a good old conversion. You just might need to meet Jesus for the first time. And so I would commend to you as we're responding today in worship, would you ask, would you ask God what it might be, what it might be like for you to have a new set of desires for your life that would match God's desires for you? Being a disciple requires discipline. Can you say amen? amen. Let's pray. Father, we are a blessed people. Blessed that we are called by your name, the people of God. We're blessed that we get to come together. Not a have to, but a get to, to worship. We consider ourselves blessed uh, to be around other people who are pressing toward uh, godliness, who want to discipline themselves to be better followers of Jesus. And sometimes we don't feel like we're up to the task. Sometimes it's not in us to do what you're calling us to. And uh, we pray, Lord God, that you would help us. Help us, Lord Jesus. For some, they just need conversion. They need your spirit. They need to be born again. I pray that for those here that aren't Christians, that you, they would hear your voice calling them, beckoning them to come and follow you. And they do it. They take the leap. They jump off the cliff. That they would surrender themselves, submitting themselves to your word, to your gospel. And, uh, and they would learn to love you. For those of us who've been walking with you for a while, God, we pray that you would reorient us in our thinking about discipline. All of us are disciplined. We just sometimes we get off skew. Our, 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 our discipline that we execute in life are swayed in the wrong direction. So would you reorient us this morning? Would you help us to, to be a godly people who toil and strive, who work, who sweat to be the people that you call us to be? Faithful, true followers of Jesus. Not perfect people, but people who are willing to put in the work that you require. That we might say that we, we've given ourselves to you. Do that for us today, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.